us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. You prefer stepping over potatoes? It's the last comic shop, kids. You'll save every one of us. It's Flash, and welcome back to another week of Movie Mayhem. And one show that I've been extremely excited about, despite the fact that it's not actually my pick. See, that's what a host does, and I'm the host with the most, Danny Larson. I'm joined by J.A. Scott, who's my longtime, not only co-host, but my longtime fellow Flash Gordon fan. Um, I remember watching the original Flash Gordon movie serial with my cousin J.A. when we were younger. We really, really loved it. Uh, as fans of Star Wars, man, it was the best, right, J.A.? Yes, you can't go wrong with good old Buster Crab. Oh, Larry. And Charles Middleton, uh, who played the Ming the Merciless. He was a great Ming. We're going to be talking a lot about Flash. Also on today's program, we've got the wonderful Chad Smith, who is... Uh, what's, what's your take on Flash? Uh, I am just just starting to explore this strange new world of Flash. So I, I'm going to have a lot of questions. I don't know what what kind of buster crabs you have or <laughs> what's going on in a lot of these scenarios. So I'm going to need folks to explain things to me. Any case, we also got Ben Morse on today's show. Hey, Ben, thank you for hey. coming back to the last comic shop. As you may or may not know, Ben is a tremendous comic book creator that we have had the honor of having on a couple past shows. And we're really happy to have him back, not only because he knows a lot about comic book art, but he also is a big fan of Flash Gordon as well, right, Ben? I am. The Star Wars was kind of my gateway drug to Flash Gordon. I think probably a lot of people, that's the that's the process, but um, really loved the Al Williamson adaptations of the movies and his comic strips. As I read more about him, I read, obviously, he was a huge Flash Gordon fan and a big admirer of Alex Raymond. That kind of sent me to Alex Raymond and Flash Gordon and that you know, the advancements he kind of made in illustration as far as, you know, how you're going to draw a comic strip. Uh, I would liken him to Neil Adams. I mean, he was a guy who was an illustrator uh, doing these comic strips, decided to bring a lot of his other techniques and skills into that and not just do kind of crude art. Not to say he was the first great artist. Um, Hal Foster was there. Windsor McKay was there doing great stuff, but he brought in a lot of very splashy techniques that really changed the game as far as comic art's concerned. So that was uh, once I saw that stuff, his dry brush, uh, the way he saw panels, um, all the backgrounds, things like that, I was I was absolutely hooked. Yeah, you, you likened it in our pre-show uh, talk about in the 90s when everybody came in with their art looking like Jim Lee and yeah. uh, those image guys. Oh, yeah, yeah. It really, um, the thing that was great about him is he he was able to do it in ways that worked very well with the color and with the printing of the time. So you don't get the muddy effect that a lot of other people did, I think. And this is not to beat up on other artists. I, if you read about artists back in that, that time period, it wasn't a ton of money. They were trying to do things as fast as they could. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if in a lot of cases they were like, all right, I got to get this drawing done in 20 minutes. I'm going to rough in some things and just try and do this other effect that's stylish now. But basically, you know, you'd see tons of people imitating, you know, the dry brush effect, the way he did backgrounds, the costumes, all that stuff. Um, it was it was a real big seismic change. And it's almost like when you go back and look at other characters and other strips of the time, you can almost see when the artist started being a big fan of Alex Raymond. You start seeing all these imitations in terms of effects and drawing. But let's go ahead and jump into that comic book review, because, again, we have a movie review later on in the show. 
We're going to be doing the 1980s Flash Gordon movie, but a huge influence on that movie was the original Flash Gordon comic strips. And, you know, when I was talking with J.A. about what comic book we might pair with this week's movie, uh, we originally started talking about a little bit about the uh, Jeff Parker, uh, Doc Shaner series that was released recently. But ultimately, J.A., you wanted to settle on the original strips, right? I read some of the Doc Shaner stuff. I hadn't read the original strips in a long time. And maybe it was one of those things where you think you read them because you've read some other stuff and Flash Gordon just exists in the milieu. But uh, I wanted to go back to where it all started. And I'm glad we did, even if it was a little bit long and uh, ended in a cliffhanger every single episode. <laughs> to get that cash that was those were in newspapers they gotta sell those papes oh my goodness <laughs> and it's also worth noting when andy says the more current version it was close to 10 years ago it was the jeff parker <laughs> doc Shaner run on flash gordon uh whereas this run uh that we're reading today started in what year andy 1934 i believe I because there's been several uh flash gordon uh collections that have been released over the years uh my particular library has all the checker versions but you can get even a more modern collection in uh a group of books that titan put out this one's called on the planet of mongo a collection of basically all the strips from 1934 to 1937 Ben, you mentioned that Alex Raymond worked on this. I don't think anything anybody else worked on it with him. I mean, this was like a one-man band, right? I do know. I actually looked this up. We were talking about if he had any help writing. He did have a ghostwriter, uh, I think, for the first year or so named Don Moore. And then I, I think as the strip became more popular and he became you know, a little bit more able to do it his way, we kind of see what he what he wanted to do with it. So I wanted to bring that up because I noticed uh, right around the end of 34, the beginning of 1935, the layout changed, the art changed a little bit, and it got away from sort of nine panel grids, 12 panel grids. And he was playing a lot more with space. He was changing up the panel sizes a bit. And I wondered, you know, was there any genesis to that or did he just get a more of a free hand because it was obviously selling my guess um, is that once the strip became popular and it, it became popular pretty quickly, uh, Alex Raymond had probably more of a free hand with whatever editors at King Features were to say, hey, this has taken off. People want to see this artwork. Uh, it's been more successful every time I've, uh, you know, to give my layout some room to really get in there and illustrate things. There you, you get the branding built in, you get the logo, the flash mm. coat of arms. Yeah, I love those. And it's interesting to, before we get to that 10 cent synopsis, is to comment on the fact that originally Flash Gordon was created to kind of be, in some ways, a clone of John Carter. At the time, Hal Foster had a Tarzan strip, and basically they needed a competitor for that Tarzan strip. So Alex Raymond created Jungle Jim, and he did a similar thing, again, with another Edgar Rice Burroughs character in terms of Flash Gordon versus John Carter. And you can kind of see that because I think the original, you know, maybe year, uh, it's a very much a, a, a John Carter kind of story. A guy, you know, accidentally lands on a planet and then has to fight a bunch of different folks. But then as it, the series goes on, you can see Alex Raymond having more of a hand about uh, swords and sorcery epic with just a little bit of uh, science fiction sheen on the top but let's get that 10 cent synopsis from j.a scott so j.a what happens in these gosh almost three years worth of strips 
a lot happens in this weekly serial strip. Ming the Merciless attacks Earth. Flash Gordon, Dale Arden, and Dr. Zarkov jump in a spaceship, fly up to confront him, and get sucked into Mongo, where they meet all these different people, including lion men and hawkmen and fishmen and all the different worlds within Mongo and hijinks ensue. I mean, I, I'll talk about this in terms of my initial thoughts. Like, the reason why I love Flash Gordon so much is not only because of the revolutionary things that Alex Raymond was doing from an artistic standpoint. Cause I mean, this is museum level quality stuff. Like if you are going to take a class in how to draw comics, Alex Raymond needs to be a required course in, in that. Cause it, it, I, there are panels that look like book covers. They're, they're so good, but simply put, it's like originally it's just like kind of like this escapist tale whereby folks at the early 20th century could escape from the increasingly complex and technologically advanced society that they were living in. Like there were so many advancements coming every single day and a lot of folks just want to return to that kind of primitive world where, you know, there was sex and savagery and battles being fought between powerful men and women. And uh, the world at that point had been conquered and explored, and there was really nothing else that they could do here on Earth. So they had to go elsewhere. And so they, they, you know, they started looking at like other planets so that they could place their stories there. Because then again, those were untamed frontiers. Basically allowed them to be like almost like space cowboys. It's very similar to what Star Wars would eventually do. They would I, do I do find it interesting that Alex Raymond chose to dress all of his characters, especially um, the ones from Mongo, in a very sort of turn of the 20th century, almost pre-World War One, like princes of Europe and nobility of Europe. I got that instantly. I was like, why are they all dressed like they're going to the Battle of Sebastopol? <laughs> I do know that if you look at Buck Rogers, there's a lot of that similar stuff going on. It's a little more science fiction-y, um, but you see things like the sort of weird headdresses they have, the fins on the helmets, things like that, that Raymond does use a little bit. Yeah, I, I would I would think that it might be almost a, um, a way to differentiate it uh, from Buck Rogers. I think it was initially created you know, based on the popularity of Buck Rogers and say, a King Feature said, hey, we kind of want something like this. Um, but, you know, obviously not totally like it. But honestly, it's like the the classic Joseph Campbell myth, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a young king. That's pretty much what Flash Gordon is. He's got an aged mentor in Dr. Zarkov who helps him out with magic. It's science, but it's still magic as he's, you know, trying to overcome his dragons, which happen all the time. Like there's a dragon like every <laughs> other page in this book. Plus caves. He's always going into caves and coming out of caves. So you've got that. Uh, and it's often and avo avoiding princess. avoiding weddings or getting married. Everyone yeah, wants to marry him. Like everybody wants to, to, to bed flash or be with flash. Uh, <laughs> it's but not it's just flash. Everybody's so thirsty in this one. <laughs> yeah. Like Ming sees Dale. He's like, oh, I'm going to marry her. I've got all these concubines and all this over here. And, you know, Aurora's like, oh, I want flash. And then like everybody... Everybody's just so thirsty. Well, that's There's a I guess, lot you know, of that. <laughs> good chance yes. to pivot here, Chad. I mean, again, as, as our Flash Gordon novice coming in, and I get what did you think? Uh, let me start off by saying it's fun to see uh, the seeds that were that would sprout and grow later on through uh, folks like Jack Kirby or through things like Star Wars, like all of the influential things like He Man. 
There are so many things that I could see drew their influence from these Flash Gordon strips. And for me personally, reading through, it it was a, a tale of two different experiences. The first half, I really really hated (laughs) i i shouldn't put it that way but there was a certain repetitiveness uh of the strip early on yeah chad i i I will echo that the first year i really felt like slog up until where they changed the style a bit and and it became less cliffhanger less okay here is the dinosaur of the week or here is the wedding of the week exactly the only one that had any character development at the beginning was aurora i thought Right. The, the entire structure was, oh, the Flash is in peril from last time. There'd be some faraway shots of Flash wrestling in his underpants, and then he'd get into the next predicament at the very end and be like, oh, how is Flash going to escape from this well? And then the next one be like, oh, Flash is in a well. How? What's he going to do? And then he'd come back out like, oh, no, Flash is jumping off a cliff. It, it really was a slog to get through for me. And so much of the art, while you could see the seeds, it wasn't the the up close and exciting comics that I've grown to be used to. But about midway through the format shifts and then you get to see more of Alex, uh, Alex Raymond, the illustrator, Alex Raymond, the artist, and the backgrounds become more lush and the artistic techniques become more varied. And from that point forward, it was, a, it was a lot more fun and it wasn't just, Oh, I'm reading this as a historical document and, you know, there's some neat ideas here that I've seen play out in other areas. You know, I can appreciate the story, although, and this is just an aspect of the serialized nature of doing a Sunday strip. The fact that no story ever seemed to end was a little bit frustrating just because it, it never felt like there was that closure thing. I always go back to the Claremont X-Men run where like they would have the baseball issues where like once everything terrible had happened, they would take a break and like pause for a minute. There was never that. It was always Flash is in danger. Watch him deal with this danger. Now Flash is in danger again. Oh no! And like uh, that never lets up. I, I think that's probably just purely of the time um, that you know they wanted to keep the story going, keep it coming back. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that they told him this amount of action on every you know every week. But if you look at uh, Prince Valiant, uh, a little bit of a slower pace um, and more character development, and that was very popular at the time. So I. Uh, I don't have any particular insight on like what Raymond was sort of forced to do or wanted to do. I wouldn't be surprised if he's his direction was very much what would be a cool thing to draw. You know, he was an okay writer, but he wasn't necessarily a writer. But he was really looking for chances to to make things epic, to two cool backgrounds, have armies fighting, uh, and the writing, the pacing uh, was very much subordinate to that. I wonder too, like what the aims of the audience were. Like I, I know syndicated strips in the 1930s, you know, had a, a huge swath, but it almost seemed like it was much more aimed at elementary kids early on mm-hmm. with those early stories. Yeah. And it's like, look at these neat creatures and that sort of thing. And it's actually once he gets rid of the ghostwriter, I actually enjoyed it more. It seemed like there was more nuance. It wasn't just, look, I'm a girl, let's get married. And yes. <laughs> He, he seemed to spend a lot longer in one area. Like he started to have those big arcs that would probably be like almost six months, seven month arcs, like with the the witch queen or the, the war with Ming when he went to war with Ming or the undersea kingdom. I mean, he spends a bit of time there. So you get to actually develop a bit of a story in that. And also the first year 
what really started to get on my nerves was all the exposition. Yeah, like it's almost like there was there was all this. Along with- yes, there was this exposition box telling us what we were watching or what we were seeing. Like the sea creature came at him and he stabbed him with the sword. And what do you see? You see a picture of the sea creature mm-hmm. and getting stabbed. And the other nice thing about the changeover from that first year to later is, um, again, the the, the uh, development of the character of Dale Arden. I honestly think that for the time, Dale Arden is treated eventually pretty progressively. Originally, she's just a damsel in distress. She's just a princess that wants to be bedded and, and whatever, and Flash has to save her. But by the middle of the book, especially my favorite part of this collection, which is the War of Ming, she rides side by side with Flash into battle. Not like in the back in some sort of castle. There's a panel, which is absolutely my favorite, which I'll I'll post on our uh, social media this week. Flash is at war. He's on the middle of the battlefield. He's got two guns blazing. And Dale is right there side by side holding like a rifle. And, And again, it's one of those things where sure, she says to Flash at times like, Flash, I love you, you know. My, my world it revolves around you, like, I, 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 as long as you're with me, I'm okay. But it's not as if Flash isn't saying the exact same things back to her, mm-hmm. right? It's not like she's just mooning over him. Flash is equally mooning over Dale. It's not a one-way relationship where Flash is like, yeah, of course you would love me, Dale. I'm the best. <laughs> no, it's, it's a very much a mutual romance. And so I just think that was extremely progressive, plus the fact that, like, again, Aura is like super thirsty and she's like always, you know, working behind the scenes to there's a lot of like strong female characters, at least for the time. I think also it's it's interesting that you had a lot of nuance between each of these characters uh, just logistically in the story. They were all trying to get different things. They had very different uh, roles. And, you know, wanted different stuff, except for Flash, which they all seem to want. I was going to say, that that must have been his superpower. He must have been one of those, like, what are the pheromones? <laughs> like, just make women fall in love with you right away. Like, oh, that fair-haired young man. Doesn't the, matter if yeah, like a witch the, uh, or a princess or whoever. Maybe he had that going on. Who knows? But <laughs> he, did, he did seem to have the power to... Somebody who wanted to kill him, he would fight them, best them, and then they would become best friends, like, in an instant. <laughs> It's, it's funny watching the movie again, which I finally finished uh, yesterday. I re- I, I've seen it a bunch of times and my memory of it was like, boy, they, you know, it was kind of coming off the seventies. They threw a lot of uh, thirst, I guess is the best way to say it into that. And then you go back and read this and it's like, no, actually that was all there. <laughs> if anything, it's a bit tamer in the movie. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I agree. Well, let's go ahead and get to our uh, ratings so that we can get to that movie review. So, um, yeah, Jay, what's our one out of four scale for the Alex Raymond strips? Well, this is a one out of four cliffhangers. How can we not do anything besides cliffhangers? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, whether you're watching eventually the uh, 80s Flash Gordon movie that we'll talk about, or you're going back to the original serials that were released in the 1930s, about the same time this, uh, this comic strip uh, was coming out. Cliffhangers are massively important to Flash Gordon just overall. Like, I I don't think you can tell a a good Flash Gordon tale without a really good cliffhanger. And so let's not keep our audience in suspense. J.A., let's start off with you. It was your pick this week. What did you think of these strips? 
So the first year it was a it was a bit of a slog and and then I was looking and I was like, "Oh my gosh, I've got another two and a half years of this to get through." <laughs> but for whatever reason, they he dropped the ghost rider, he had more power to change up the panel layout, he started really exploring the characters a bit. It grew on me. The the art flourished, the storytelling flourished, the characters started to develop uh, more of personality and more of their own traits and, and customs, and it just got deeper a bit. So I would give it three and a half cliffhangers. Uh, I can't give it a four simply because that first year was a bit of a slog. It And if these came out in newspapers, you take that pack and you recycle them and you keep the other, the other <laughs> couple of years. I don't know, but it's three and a half for me. Okay. Chad, you're up next. I agree with uh, what Jay was saying. That that first year was tough for me. And it's tough whenever we, we assign grades to things like this, just because of the historical importance. The fact that this was the, the grandfather, so many other things that, that came after it. And you could tell from the beginning, right off the jump, the creativity is there. The, the wonderful ideas are there. The excitement is there. It just took a while to find the format. And plus, you know, we're, we're dealing with strips as opposed to your traditional comic books. That's a whole different beast for me. But then once it gets into to what it eventually becomes, you, you have all that creativity, all those ideas, and then it's backed by this beautiful, lush artwork. And so you can't knock it in the least, but I, I don't know if I would have gotten there if I, I wasn't required to read up to that point. Like, if I had just started with year one, strip one, like oh, I'm not making it very far. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, almost an apologetic three. Like I understand how important this is. I you know, and it does become really fun and really great. But there was a lot in there that like this is gonna end soon, right? Oh, oh no, it's still going. Oh, this is the same thing as the other one. <laughs> All right, Ben. I'm gonna say four um, for a couple reasons. A, I think it's the originality, the fact, like you said, it's the grandfather of so many things. I also kind of tried when I'm reading this to put myself in the mindset of I'm reading this once a week. You know, like I think a lot of the things that are really tough to get through when you sit down and read the whole thing are kind of not the format. I I think when you when you think of this as a once a week visit to Flash Gordon's world, the repetition kind of works. Um, It's it's a reminder a little bit. So. I'm going to go for just because of uh, more of my affection for this artwork and for the things it inspired more than anything else. But I guess to be a little objective, I think that it is geared towards that, hey, you're getting seven panels a week and we're going to move the story along very much uh, you know, in a way that's driven by that. Well, I'll go last. And uh, as we've been talking about all year, it's been the year of Chad. <laughs> well, in the year of Chad, I'm, although it wasn't my pick, it was my cousin's. He gave me a wonderful gift in giving me an entry into the year of Andy. No, you can't have my year. You can have the week. You get this week. Fine. The week of Andy, because this is a 10. This is one of the greatest comics ever, at least in my humble opinion. Only Spider-Man rivals him in terms of my favorite comic book characters of all time. And if you want to read any Flash Gordon, this is the Alpha and the Omega. This is everything. The Alex Raymond run of Flash Gordon is where everything comes from. It is the wellspring of so much creativity. 
And even in that first year, although it's got this nine panel grid, it's very repetitive or whatever, there are so many wonderful ideas. You get Fun the Lion Man, you get Voltan, the Hawkman, you get Aura and, and Ming and the, the shark people. And the seeds are being planted for, for storylines that would come later in the strip. I mean, again, you can't appreciate the war against Ming almost like an end game or an infinity war type of story where you have all the characters coming together and picking sides and, and they want to fight against each other. You, you don't get that unless you read the early stuff where they introduce all the characters and all the different kingdoms. So all of it is necessary. Again, from the artwork, the sex, the savagery, I keep on going back to that. I don't, I don't care that this is thirsty. I want this. I want this as escapism. <laughs> like that's what I read comic books for. I just want to escape. I want to go someplace and have adventures and flash gordon gives you that in spades so it's like a 10 i guess it's a four but like whatever can i just say this like one of the best books we've ever read on this show yes that's my take any case we've got more flash gordon coming up right after these commercial breaks so stay tuned for the 80s flash gordon movie ah! right after these messages Hey, it's Mikey Wood, frequent Last Comic Shop guest and collector. And as a collector, I'm always in need of boards, bags, long boxes, and more to house all those comics. That's why I use promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off my orders at bcwsupplies.com. Not only does it get me a discount on BCW's already low prices, but I know using LCSPOD at checkout is another way I can show my support to the Last Comic Shop podcast and their continuing mission to bring fans together under that big comic book tent. So if you're in need of comic book supplies, Head out to bcwsupplies.com and use promo code LCSPOD today. That's LCSPOD. Welcome to Victims and Villains. This is the channel where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and I'm so glad that you're here to join us. Victims and Villains is a podcast and YouTube channel that marries pop culture and suicide prevention, producing content with the intent to let people know that there is hope and that there is a better way and that each and every listener has value and worth. Listen to Victims and Villains on your favorite podcast catcher or on YouTube by searching for Victims and Villains. Also, check out their website, victimsandvillains.net. back with more of the last comic shop and it is now time for our movie pile review yes movie pile yeah sure you know a pile of movies pile like of dvds of we just we just got to return them to blockbuster at the end of the week <laughs> i say you can't send them back to netflix anymore that's you right stop that you just throw them out in your yard and then I, I i don't know what you do with movies anymore but one one thing we do with movies a lot of the times is review them Especially during movie May, you're going to get a bonus review, and it is a bonus review of the 1980s Flash Gordon movie, which everybody knows because Queen did the soundtrack, and that's that's still really popular. Right? I actually just saw on that note, you know how the Funko Pops have been putting out like record albums? Yeah. There's a Freddie Mercury with the Flash Gordon album behind it uh, in stores now. Very cool. So again, I think a little more timely even though it was released 40 years ago, still more timely than this strip that happened in ye olden days. This was a movie that was a long time coming. And actually, I, George Lucas originally wanted to do it. They said, no, George, we're not going to let you. And then you know, went and made Star Wars instead. But he wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie long before he wanted to make a Star Wars movie. But who ended up doing 
the Flash Gordon movie, J.A.? Okay, so this movie came out in 1980. It bombed, has now become a cult classic. It was directed by Mike Hodges on a screenplay from Lorenzo Semple Jr., obviously based on the characters by Alex Raymond, produced by the great Dino De Laurentiis. And whenever you see that, you know you're in for a good time. <laughs> Is it like seeing the canon movie symbol? Yes. Yes. Settle in. See, we got some 80s goodness coming at yeah. us. Uh, Sam J. Jones played Flash Gordon. Melody Anderson, Dale Arden. Ornella Muti was Aurora. Max Von Sido, the great actor, played Ming the Merciless. And Topol, Dr. Zakov. Timothy Dalton doing his press best impersonation of Errol Flynn as Prince Baron. And then some other people. What are you talking about? Some other people. Brian Blessed. <laughs> Brian Blessed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's a lot of talent in this. Topol, who did uh, what? Fiddler on the Roof. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. there's like actually a famous story about Sam Jones. Like none of his dialogue in this movie is actually Sam Jones talking. It's somebody else that came in because he only did the principles and then left because like he had a stare down with Dino De Laurentiis and it didn't end well. So, so they left. couldn't do the they couldn't do the pickups. Yeah. And so long story short, it's somebody else doing all the dialogue. No, so they Darth Vader Flash Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. All <laughs> his dialogue is some other dude. Not even the Sam Jones guy. That's a thing. Any case, another thing is the 10 cent synopsis. And it comes from Ben. What happens in this movie? Is it drastically different from the comic book? Uh, I have to say it's not. Um, there are a few notable changes just to start off on you know a basic summary. New York Jets quarterback Flash Gordon. Is on a plane, meets a girl, Dale Arden. They're playing crashes. They run into a crazy doctor named uh, Hans Zarkov and end up whisked away to the planet Mongo where they quickly encounter Ming the Merciless and uh, unite the kingdoms of Mongo against them. They try to make it a more relevant for the time. Like Ming has like a secret police and like it's more of a police state. And, yeah, and don't forget Dr. Doom. I mean, <laughs> Colitis. No, Colitis. <laughs> Is uh, Ming's henchman right? They they just get it's all kinds of goofiness, and I think that's where I'll start with my initial thoughts, which is like a lot of people ask me, "You're a huge Flash Gordon fan? Do you like this movie?" And I'm like, "No, <laughs> not really. I'm not a, a huge, huge fan." If I was going to say what people should watch if they want to watch a Flash Gordon movie, I think it's still available on YouTube. Filmation made a great 90 minute animated movie called Flash Gordon: The Greatest Adventure of All. And eventually they cut and spliced that and made the Flash Gordon uh, Saturday morning cartoon show off of that. But the original movie has a lot of stuff about like 1930s and World War II and Ming giving weapons to Hitler. And a lot of that, again, thirsty sex and savagery that you expect from Flash Gordon. It's not only played seriously, but it has just a more consistent tone. I think that's my biggest problem. With this particular movie is although there are bits and pieces i like i think it's just wildly inconsistent from one part to another they spend like i don't know 10 minutes just having flash gordon play football against a bunch of ming's dudes i'm just like i get it you're trying to play up the football aspect of flash but this isn't necessary it's just and then you but then you have other scenes like where he gets to the forest king of aborea and all the stuff between uh, Flash and Baron where, you know, they're playing Russian roulette with yeah. this. Put your hand in the stump. <laughs> Put your hand in this hole. Um, again, like what we said in the previous segment where Flash will beat up somebody and then they'll immediately become friends. 
that that happens right there. And I'm like, oh, that's classic Flash Gordon there. Flash is all, I shouldn't have put my hand in the stuff. Ah. <laughs> There's a good movie somewhere in this. But at the same time, I think it's inconsistent. Ben? I never saw this as a kid. Um, I was only into the Defenders of the Earth series, where he would team up with the Phantom and Mandrake the Magician. Oh, yeah. Uh, a guy named Lothar um, to you know, fight evildoers. And, and Ming, I think, uh, primarily. But I have to say, every part of this movie doesn't work but somehow you know it adds up to a lot i think queen soundtrack is a huge part of it i think that's the only part of this that really became iconic and then to talk about the delirantis family i've always linked this movie a lot with dune it is an incredibly interesting failure and at the same time the things that they would have fixed if they were going to make a movie that really hung together that they did have consistent tone and a, a good pacing structure I wouldn't like it as much. It's more interesting to see this crazy fever dream because it certainly is that. Um, the colors, the the sets and were like just such a, a unique environment. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that looks so expensive and also so cheap at the same time. <laughs> the sets are really elaborate and, and pretty beautiful, but they're always shot in a way that, and lit in a way that just makes them look really, really chintzy. By way of comparison, if you look at the end of The Spy Who Loved Me with Roger Moore, there's a very shiny, metallic Ken Adams set that looks a lot like some of the sets, uh, especially for that room where Baron and Flash are fighting in the Kingdom of the Hawkman. A lot of silver, a lot of reflectivity, uh, but it's lit to be so flat that it looks really cheap and chintzy. Um, And yet when you really look at the details, you're like, my God, that must have cost an arm and a leg. No wonder they didn't make any more of them. The performances are very much in line with that. I think everyone was trying to be a comic book character in ways that did not really work, but they were so bad, they were fun. So a lot of things just did not age well, but at the same time, everything is done with such earnestness. The performances, the sets, the music, it's impossible not to like this movie. They always say about politicians, like, would you want to have a beer with them? I want to have a beer with this movie. It's a fun movie. (laughs) The more beers you have with the movie, the better the movie gets. (laughs) Probably true. It is that generation's cats. The movie. It's going to become a cult classic. I'm telling you, it's people are going to get high to it and then watch it and, and freak out. You know, bad movie, but so earnest in what it was attempting to do. This is very much similar. I echo everything you said, Ben. It opens and you hear the queen and I'm instantly thinking Highlander. And they, I think later in the movie, they even said, who wants to live forever? I'm like, oh, that's a that's a freaking Highlander queen song. <laughs> I can I can understand why it has become such a cult movie. I can also understand why it bombed so badly when it first came out, because it's not dissimilar to that horrible movie. Andrew, you forced us to watch with Sean Connery. Oh, Zardoz. 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 Yeah. Flash Gordon running around in a loincloth with giant bandoliers. I mean, it, that would have been more comic accurate, I guess. I was trying to figure out, were they trying to be that bad? I mean, it's 1980. Blue screen, green screen technology wasn't that bad, but there were a lot of scenes where it was really bad. Well, so here's here's my hypothesis. Like, I grew up with the, the Batman 60s TV show. And, you know, the, the campiness of that TV show that, for better or for worse, defined what comic books are for a lot of people. Like, every newspaper article, even to this day, still starts with, you know, how, zap, uh, that sort of ethos. And so I think whenever you have this movie, it's 
of that ethos. It's of that campiness. And they're thinking, oh, we're going to do a comic book movie. We have to make it campy. We have to make it silly. For me, I'm of a couple of different minds on this one. One, uh, living in the modern times that, that we are, I was watching this movie on my phone. And then I worried just because of the way that it looked, the people were going to think I was watching pornography. Oh, <laughs> just yeah. the way that some of the sets and like cheesy and how, how bad it was. I was, I was worried people were going to judge, but not having the affection for flash really. So I'm just coming into it. I had a lot of fun with how bonkers and, and crazy this is. And I, I I've always been the type of person I grew up on that Batman 60s show. And so I love those campy elements. I can separate the camp of the Batman show from what comic books are. Whereas, you know, this starts off with those beautiful Alex Raymond images at the beginning when they're introducing all the characters and all that stuff. It immediately just goes into bonkers town. And everyone, once again, faithful to the strip, everyone is so thirsty. All the women and these, you know, uh, revealing outfits that just want to bed or have cat fights and pillow fights. And you have that element going on. You have Ming, who's like, that Hitler guy had some good ideas. I like him. It's like, whoa, <laughs> holy cannoli. Yeah, there's that one scene, uh, which is actually one of the more disturbing scenes where they try to wipe Zarkov's brain. Yeah. And right. like he's having these these memories of like living in like the, the Jewish ghettos and like some some place in Europe. It's the memory like, of his wife dying or yeah, something. Like, but it doesn't go watch that. It doesn't go backwards. It goes forward. I was like that. She should be the funeral and then her death and then her swimming. But then you see her swimming and then the death and the funeral. And it confused me. Uh, and then I thought about like it. A- Man, Zarkov is messed up. That's right. I have so many questions about that <laughs> sequence. It's actually, if you watch the thing where his wife, I guess, drowns, it yeah. looks like a party, but everyone is chasing her around. Then she jumps into the pool. She's surrounded by people, none of who help her. Right. And <laughs> then you see Zarkov holding her like, oh, my God, she's died. But if it's his point of view, he was watching the whole thing. So I have no idea why or how she died. The Hitler thing is obviously really bonkers. <laughs> the biggest question I have about that scene is they keep interspersing quick shots of cats and tigers for no discernible reason. And monkeys as well. Yeah. Just the subliminal cat energy. It's it's never explained. It's never, there's no resolution to it. It's just like tiger, tiger, tiger. And it's, what, what is that? I watched that part over like five times, just trying to parse the insanity that is that scene. That's right. It is art. It is terrible. It is insane. It is beautiful. It's right. Because there's that one part where like he rewinds all the way to the beginning of his life where he's like yeah. in the womb and he hears his mom like moaning, like not like moaning, like giving birth, but like moaning, I, like, and I'm just like, yeah, this movie is thirsty. The, the Genesis scene of Zarkov. And I don't know. It, it, it's so bonkers. It that it with, like flash on a space sled where like, boy, you think the stormtroopers don't know how to shoot. Like, how many shots have they fired at Flash Gordon? He's just zipping along, doo-doo-doo, singing a little Queen song in his head. Well, I, I will say this, that one of the major problems uh, with the movie when I'm talking about inconsistency of tone is kind of sprouted from Dino De Laurentiis. Because originally, uh, Dino wanted to make this campy. He wanted to make this funny. He wanted to play up those aspects because he thought that would sell. Uh, he also did the Barbarella movie. Which uh, is f- based on a famous, you know, French comic book, um, and it's also kind of campy and sexy and thirsty with uh, Jane Fonda running around in underpants and stuff like that. But he wanted a kind of a similar feel, and there were so many people 
that disagreed with that decision. Basically, he wanted to get Sergio Leone, one of J.A.'s favorite directors of all time, to direct this Flash Gordon. He took one look at the script and said no, because it was not a faithful representation of Flash Gordon in the strips. He was a fan of the Alex Raymond strips, and he refused to do something that made Flash Gordon not badass. You had also the, the script writer, which we uh, commented was uh, a, a guy named Lorenzo Semple Lorenzo Jr. Semple Jr. He did the Batman. Yeah. And that's why he was brought in, because he did Batman and they, they wanted that campy tone, but he didn't want to do it either. He kept on going back and forth between campy and realistic and campy and realistic. And eventually they just ran out of money because they were just like, well, what do we want to do with this? And so talk about just not having the right vision from the start. Start. And although you can say it's a fever dream, boy, I would have I rather had somebody at the helm of this like George Lucas, because it could have been one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny if you even watch uh, the, the introduction scene where they're all at court uh, when they've just gotten a Mongo. You look at those those costumes. They're really pretty beautiful. They're they're well made and they look good on screen, but they just don't fit right and they don't move right. And even in the sound, they leave the sound in where everything sounds like cheap plastic when they could have easily just done a better sound effect that would have given those things weight and power. It's such an interesting failure on that level. It's like they really did the hard parts of making these things look cool and then fumbled it completely when it came to just like photographing it, making it sound cool, editing it well. Uh, right. It, it kind of was all the hard stuff to do, I think, was there. Yeah, um, it speaks to the disjointed nature. It's like, what yeah. was the goal? Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it looks like a kid's movie in a lot of ways. And I think to your point about Brian Blessed being a really fun character, he just works so well in that movie. I think, obviously, he's the over-the-top character, and it's easy to be likable when you're that. He's having a lot of fun. And I think he was a big fan of Flash Gordon. I think he even said, hey, you got to let me be the Hawkman. Um, I love that character. He's having a great time and it's pretty infectious. And if you look at what Timothy Dalton did with Baron, you can tell he's working very hard. I, I wouldn't mean he's not doing Hamlet, but he's really trying to get across where Baron is at the moment. But boy, does that character not work. He is so needy. He's really angry. Much like the rest of the movie, you see him working very hard to do something that just like does not come together in any way. That's, I, I blame uh, Aura. Is that? Yeah. Aura is yeah. just a, a complicated character that I don't know makes sense thirsty for everybody and expects everybody to be thirsty in return right and and, and there's a random pillow fight in the middle of the yeah, movie that's right why well, because I, she changed it she turns it around you know let's give her credit for that <laughs> she learns tears i think actually the only character that doesn't work for me honestly is flash gordon and maybe it's because like the way he talks because he has the look and why is he wearing his own merch <laughs> they never address that He's got that flash t-shirt the whole time. Well, let's go ahead and get to our ratings of this particular movie. And uh, Jay, what's our one out of four scale for this? Oh, this is easy. This is one out of four flash. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. Well, we'll start off with uh, Chad this this time around. So Chad, how many uh, flash oh, are you giving this? Oh, boy. You're talking about things that didn't work. I think nothing works, and that's why it works. That's similar to what Ben was saying earlier. There's so many disparate things here, so many ridiculous over-the-top things, and so many things where you're like, they really put that in a movie? Like, ah, like, I enjoyed the heck out of this. I don't ever want to watch it again. So I'm going to say 2.75. Oh! Like, 
it is what it is. I, I'm happy that it exists, and I'm sure there's an audience for it out there. And I like I enjoyed it while I was there, but oh, I, I don't know. Like I feel like if I watched it too much or tried to think about it too much, it might break me. All right, Ben. I'm gonna go with two and a half flashes out of four. Everything that that is interesting on its own. Um, some of the performances are very good. The sets are beautiful as I guess just objects. This is a puzzle that is completely disassembled, but has some interesting pieces to it. I'll go third. I'm going to give this, the I think, the lowest rating out of all of this. I think a 1.75. It's not even an average movie. It's well below that. And and, and the major reason I'm angry about it, not only because of the inconsistency of tone, I, I think back to like Batman, right? I know that Chad's a huge fan of the 60s Batman, but if like... That's all you ever had. That would skew your view of Batman from now on. Like if you didn't have like the 89 movies or Batman Begins or The Dark Knight or anything else in terms of the popular culture around a particular character, if all you had was like Flash Gordon in this Flash Gordon 80s movie, it would really skew your view of Flash Gordon, which I still believe happens today. Like people are like, yeah, that terrible movie from the 80s. Why would you be a fan of Flash Gordon? Because he's awesome. There's so much more to Flash Gordon than just this stupid movie. But you can't get past the movie. It's out there and it's very well known. So, like, unfortunately, I hate this movie just because it skewed so many people's perceptions of this whole universe. Like, all they think about is these Flash Gordon on a sled garbage. See, that's, uh, I think, of a series of unfortunate events. And they had that terrible Jim Carrey movie. I was like, oh, those books are so great. And this is the movie we got. But then fortunately, a few years later, Patrick Warburton and company created a whole new Netflix series. Yeah. Maybe someone will pick up your phone. I'm hoping it's still been optioned out there in Hollywood. Um, I know Tiki Guatiti was going to make an animated movie. Now Disney's looking at potentially live action for a Mm. Flash Gordon movie. And um, I mean, I don't mind a little bit of silliness in my Flash Gordon, but you have to have the right tone from the start. J.A. I didn't mind it. Maybe I just like campy movies. I was leaning towards a three. Flash. Wow. I can see this as a double feature. I would watch this and then I would watch Barbarella, which is infinitely better movie. You got to accept it for what it is and enjoy the ride. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. It's fun for the absolute yeah, bonkers it, craziness. That yeah, it is. It, is it the Flash? Like if I was going to introduce somebody to the Flash Gordon for the first time? No, I would show them the Buster Crab version. But. That being said, if they've seen that, if they've read some Flash Gordon, if they like 80s camp or sci-fi camp, or they're just big Dino De Laurentiis fans, man, get out the popcorn. It's a fun ride. Any movie that's got Queen for a soundtrack can't be that bad. This is true. We'll be right back with uh, more of The Last Comic Shop right after this. We're going to get some recommendations, and uh, so stay tuned for that. Together, we can make a difference. That's been the sign-off for everything livestream for the cure related ever since the event began back in 2017. Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I am the host of the livestream for the cure, an annual charity event to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute for immunotherapy research for a world immune to cancer. And over the past six years, we've made that difference together. Amazing listeners, amazing viewers, amazing podcast partners and content creators all coming together. And we've raised over $70,000. But this year, we're going to make our biggest difference to date. And we're going to raise $25,000 
for the Cancer Research Institute. Tune into the event at twitch.tv slash livestream for the cure starting May 18th as we're joined again by podcast partners and content creators from around the world to help the Cancer Research Institute crush cancer. Together, we will make a difference. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for recommendations. Yes, that time of every single show where we love to give you other comic books in addition to the Alex Green and Strips, which you can find in a variety of different ways. Like, I go to, like, comic book shops all the time and find, like, old used books of, like, Flash Gordon. Maybe you're not going to be able to get all of them together uh, like you can in maybe the Titan or the Checkered books, which I highly recommend. But if you can find any of those for a decent price, pick them up because th- they belong in your comics library. But we're going to go ahead and start off with J.A. Scott. J.A., what is your recommendation this week? I am recommending another Flash Gordon book. It's Flash Gordon Zeitgeist, which came out of Dynamite Entertainment 2013, maybe around. I'm going to say with a plot and script by Eric Troutman, plot and art direction by Alex Ross, with art by Daniel Indro, colors by Slamet Mugiono. And it is essentially the retelling of the Flash Gordon movie, which I just said I liked a lot, but with Nazis. <laughs> so there's this whole World War II 1945 aspect to it where Hitler is essentially going to become one of the rulers under ming the merciless and instead of hail hitler it's hail ming and it's just great yeah yeah it it was really came out of alex ross's love for that 1980s movie but again like a lot of folks he thought that it should have been better treated yeah and and one of the things i didn't like about the movie and i think some of us have sort of called it out a bit is flash gordon has a better costume he has a more flash quote unquote Gordony costume throughout this whole series run in the movie. He's running around in a t-shirt. This flash a lot of the time. Or that stupid tank top. The oh, I like that. I like it. <laughs> at least, at least it's clothing in the comic strip that we were reading. Half the time Zarkov was like in undies and not just regular undies. They'd get like those diaper style. <laughs> it was really distracting. <laughs> was not a great look. All right. Well, a good look is um, is Ben's recommendation. So, Ben, what do you got for us this week? What I was going to recommend is the two-part Flash Gordon from the mid-90s done by Al Williamson. It's the culmination, I think, of his career. He was a huge Flash Gordon fan. He also did the adaptation of the 1980s movie. Yep. Uh, I found that was- in a buck bin last week. It's beautiful artwork, I'll tell you oh, that. Yeah. I was just seeing on Wikipedia where he was disillusioned with the movie because it wasn't the faithful adaptation. Oh, yeah, yeah. He hated that he had to draw Sam Jones in there. He's He was a huge Flash Gordon fan. That was kind of what brought him into comics. Uh, so uh, this version from the 90s was his chance to just do pure Flash Gordon. Uh, it's great design. Um, it kind of ties in very closely to the continuity of the comic. It deals mostly with Princess Azura, where she had gone to Earth and found him. Uh, when he was a boy and met him then. And then they obviously meet much later once he's grown up. Um, So it fills in some backstory with Flash. And it was, I think most notable, just it was a chance to see Al Williamson do the Flash Gordon comic that he always wanted to do. Uh, I think it took him a couple of years just to draw it. It's not that long. I think it's probably 64 pages total, Mm -hmm. but um, beautiful stuff. Plus the fact that 
at the time like this was like peak 90s like in terms of like mm -hmm. the image boom and all that other stuff yeah. i think it was like 1991 1992 and i remember picking this up because again i was a flash gordon fan as well on the newsstand and it was just amazing to see al williams's art style compared to like you know yeah. uber boobs <laughs> that you would be seeing right next to it from like wildcats or whatever next and you were just battle like, chasers or something yeah. exactly it was something else and I, I, that's i my friends were like why are you picking up this old looking stuff and i'm just like dude come on he did all <laughs> the the star wars adaptations too mm -hmm. like I, yeah. I, I williams did all the movie adaptations for star wars like at least empire strikes back and uh return of the jedi and so, yeah, that's a great pick. Chad, what's your recommendation? Okay, so I'm going to go with something else that was an idea explosion with beautiful art that I feel, uh, you know, you can draw a direct line to the Flash Gordon strips that we were talking about. I'm going to go with Jack Kirby's Commander. That series where you're getting lion men, you're getting, you know, all sorts of weird permutations of people turned into beasts. And just one issue after another, it gets crazier and crazier. And I think it's something similar to Flash Gordon, where it would have made the best Saturday morning cartoon for kids, where you have all these bonker ideas going and just they start off running from issue one and they just keep running the entire time. And so it just it feels like the extension of the Flash Gordon ethos. So, yeah, if you want to go out and find uh, seek out the Jack Kirby uh, Commandy Omnibus, it has the first 40 issues that Kirby worked on. The series did extend afterwards, but I think those first 40 issues, that's the prime Kirby time, the stuff you would need to know. But it's just, it is tons of fun and it is something that you could hand to a kid and they will, you know, be excited by all the weird creatures and all the different scenarios. And I still can't get over that one issue where there's a talking virus. Like he gives like a virus a face and you're just like, yeah, that's not how viruses work. But okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> The thing that works is my recommendation this week, which is Batman versus the Hulk. It was released in September of 1981 in a treasury edition. It was part of the series of crossovers that Marvel and DC were doing at the time. And the major reason why I'm recommending it on this week's show is not because it has anything to do with Flash Gordon. Is it because the Hulk throws a car at Batman and he jumps through the window? <laughs> well, that is why I love it so much. Because I've heard this story. We're hoping that you tune in this Saturday, May 20th. We are going to be live as part of the live stream for The Cure from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard. Uh, we will be available for all of our last Comic Shop fans doing a bonus episode of our show. We're going to be joined by George from Short Box Summary. We're going to be joined by the wonderful Mikey Wood. And you are going to get a bonus review of Batman versus the Incredible Hulk in our earnest attempt to help raise money for cancer research. Yes, that's what the live stream cure is all about. Uh, every single dollar goes to cancer research and helping to prevent cancer in folks in future. So make sure that you're tuning in, not only for the entire event, which starts on May 18th and runs through the 20th, but definitely tune in if you're a fan of The Last Comic Shop to our particular segment, again, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. And honestly, uh, folks and, and fans of the show, this is our chance to help give back and to do something good while still doing that silly thing we love to do, which is read and talk about comic books. So we appreciate anybody out there that can help tune in, that can help support the cause and help us do good uh, alongside you while still enjoying the, the, the fun hobby that we have. Yeah.
Absolutely. And if you love our fun hobby, make sure that you're checking out all of our episodes over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's the place where you can find all these episodes, especially the ones featuring Ben. Yay! Ben was on our show earlier uh, in 2022. He came on to talk about not only his two awesome books in August and uh, We Are Scarlet Twilight, which will be coming out in comic book shops, right, Ben? It will be. Um, it's, it should be on shelves. Uh, the first issue did sell out. So if it's in your pool list, you can get it. If you see it in the shelf, uh, I'd pick it up because they're going fast. Absolutely. Yeah. So, And if you don't see it, ask your comic shop retailer, uh, see if they can get that in or otherwise you're going to be stuck waiting for the collected editions. Yes. Which I've got coming to me because I supported <laughs> the, the campaign. It's a wonderful series. We have Scarlet Twilight. So if you're a big fan of Flash Gordon, uh, we can't recommend it enough that you uh, pick up that book as well as August, uh, which I think is going to be coming back in, out in hardback as well. Don't you have yeah, we just launched a campaign or a pre-launch page for that. It's probably going to launch uh, this summer. We might just do it for the month of August. Oh, very yeah. cool. <laughs> so make sure that you keep on checking us out on social media for more updates because uh, we're always retweeting uh, Ben's stuff because he's a great guy and he's a fantastic I appreciate it, guys. creator. If you need stuff to keep your comic books in, like your copies of Flash Gordon or your copies of We Are Scarlet Twilight, make sure that you're checking out uh, bcwsupplies.com, where you can get 10% off your order by using our promo code LCSPOD. Helps not only The Last Comic Shop continue to bring you awesome podcasts like today's episode, but also you can get a discount, which puts more money in your pocket, so that you can save it for rocket ships and laser guns and all kinds of stuff that's it now i can always check it out uh at your local comic shop don't know where that is go to www.comicshoplocator.com where you can find things like alex raymond's flash gordon or you can find some of our other recommendations like al williamson's flash gordon or you can find things like flash gordon zeitgeist the uh alex ross passion project for the flash gordon or you could find jack kirby's commandy Last but not least, you could always try to seek out that treasury edition of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez's Batman versus the Hulk, which you could then read in advance of our live stream for the Cure event. Lots of stuff going on here at the comic shop this week. Oh, yes, absolutely. And make sure that when you're at that comic book shop that you're seeking out, we are Scarlet Twilight. Ben, where else can they find your terrific work every single day? You can find it on red5comics.com uh, in order from there. You can also find the campaigns that we're doing on Zoop at zoop.gg. Oh, and social media, um, Benjamin W. Morse on Twitter. Um, you can find We Are Scarlet Twilight and August on Facebook. And you can also find me on Instagram and YouTube. There you go. And check comic shops for We Are Scarlet Twilight uh, right now. The, coming up, it's going to be out. And check this August for the August Collected Edition. Yes, absolutely. Until next week, I was the host of Most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, J.A. Scott, and the wonderful Ben Morse. And we thank him so much for being on this week's show. Hopefully we'll have you back on soon, Ben. Keep on so. making those awesome comic books for us. Until next week, uh, stay safe, stay flash, ah, savior of the universe. That sled looks so bad. <laughs> it's like, it's so bad, it's good. Like exercise equipment at a gym. I, I thought it looked like a treadmill.
The Last Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Anders production.